Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is Al Lunsford, digital editor for Lynx, uh, back in our makeshift studio here at the Lynx HQ in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, with the one, the only, <laughs> James A. Jim Frank. Hello, Al. How you doing? Doing great, thank you. Now that we've turned the conference room into the 19th hole. Yes, of course, as is tradition, as we, we always do here on... <laughs> Uh, the days that you're in town, I guess. <laughs> yes. I, I love to drink and uh, work. Yeah, Not sure. drink and drive. Who doesn't? Right. Uh, well, Jim, you're uh, the senior editor of Lynx, and today we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, you've been in the golf industry for quite Ever. some time. Forever. And have had the opportunity and, and been fortunate enough to travel to some really cool places. Um, and we bill ourselves as a golf travel podcast so you're the perfect guest actually for us to be on the podcast well i love talking about where i have gone where i am going i think all golfers love to love to boast and brag uh the problem is and i'll ask you to be sure that i don't get too conceited or pompous about it but um you know that's what we do when we're sitting around after a round you know where have you been where have you played where should i go and uh, I've been um, extremely lucky to uh, travel a pretty good part of the world with my sticks. Um, I will say first off that my first rule is it doesn't matter how I play, it's where I play. Okay. So uh, it's it's been a nice life. I mean, I've been doing this 30 plus years and the last, oh, seven, eight, nine years with Lynx, which has given me, you know, some wonderful opportunities. So, um, you know, we decided to talk about some places that I've been that I think you know, the well-traveled golfer might want to consider. I mean, I'm never going to tell anyone they shouldn't go to Scotland and Ireland and, uh, you know, the Caribbean or those kinds of places. Uh, you just have to, you know, that's where the game came from. That's not the Caribbean. <laughs> Scotland, Ireland, Britain, there isn't anything like it. But as the game has spread around the world, you could say that golf is a great excuse to go to other places and see them. Or when you're in these other great great destinations around the world, you might be surprised how much genuinely good golf there is. So um, happy to share what I've learned. Yeah, and we're talking international places international. today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, um, whole, you know, the world is our oyster, as it were. Do you know how many states, I just a, a thought that came to my head, how many different states you've played in? Oh, man, I should have. Uh, um, oh, not all of them. I've uh, never been to North and South Dakota and a couple others. I bet I've played in 30, 35 states. I'll have to add that okay. up. That's a, that's a good one. I've been um, partly uh, following the example of our um, fearless leader, George Pepper, w w with whom I worked um, at Golf Magazine for many years. I mean, he's the one that got me into the business 35, 36 years ago. So blame him. You know, he notably has recorded all of his rounds. I started counting. Um, I'm about 550 around the world. Yeah. About uh, 400 in the U.S. and 150 international. So um, I, I don't think I'll ever catch him because um, he's still adding on too. 
but it's uh, I would certainly recommend anybody who uh, who does travel that they start to write them down and you know maybe even take notes what was the weather like uh, how was the course who they play with it's a wonderful uh, thing to look back at I did it rather late and had to go back and kind of remember which has been both very difficult but also very rewarding and then every once in a while I'll say oh I forgot about that one and uh, um, and it's just a lot of fun it's it's something that's so special for those of us who play and get to travel get to do um, and you know lifelong memories for sure I thought that was a great idea, um, and I plan on doing that myself, too, in the near future. We'll start now while the numbers are small. Yeah. Because, as I said, um, not only are they going to be a lot later, but your memory will, will play tricks on you, I promise. Okay. Well, I don't look forward to that, so I may, <laughs> may as well get started right away. All right. So let's get into uh, the, the few places we're going to talk about today. I will start with – I'll let you actually decide where you want to well, start. I, there are – there are three places in particular that I think people should play. I'm going to just jump in with one that um, isn't on that list, but is worth visiting. And then if you go, there is some wonderful golf, and that is Vietnam. Um, I went a number of years ago, about 10 years ago, and an awful lot has happened since that I unfortunately haven't yet seen. There are a number of courses that Greg Norman has done. Uh, Bobby Jones just, you know, that's Robert Trent Jones Jr., mm-hmm. um, just opened what looks like a spectacular course and if I could remember the name of it I would tell you but there's a lot of action there in fact there was a piece in Lynx I think a year ago that Vietnam might be the fastest growing golf country in the world but while the golf is really good and worth playing and a lot of it's seaside and Lynx like and with some name architects it is a wonderful country a fascinating place um, particularly those of us old enough to remember having lived through the Vietnam War or what they call the War of American Aggression um, there are reminders of it but it, you know if you go thinking that the people are going to be hostile about it they're not they could not be friendlier they are very tourist friendly um, this is a country that's been overrun by various tribes for thousands of years so they're used to welcoming um, outsiders the food is just out of this world because of all the French influence since this was Indochine Indochina mm-hmm. um, maybe the best coffee I've ever had in the world and they're the third or fourth largest coffee coffee-growing country in the world. People really? Don't, people don't realize that. Huh. But it is from what we call Saigon, what they now call Ho Chi Minh City, you know, the opportunities to see some war uh, relics and things like that. Um, I didn't go all the way up into what we called North Vietnam up to Hanoi. There is some golf there. I even understand that the government bureaucrats are getting into golf. So there's some wonderful golf. It's a lovely country. Um, it can be really hot and humid, um, but I highly recommended and then playing some golf too but that's not the main reason to go yeah well that's a good thing about any of these places that you're going to visit and you're going to talk about today is that golf is just but a factor oh absolutely another one that's kind of similar and nearby is thailand thailand you know it's it is vietnam but it isn't a much calmer it's really a place where just the people, you know, this it's kind of a trite thing to say, but this whole Zen feeling is very relaxed, other than Bangkok, which is a big, crazy city and has um, everything that you've heard about Bangkok. Um, from the uh, lewd to the lovely is true, you know, spectacular castles and uh, not castles, temples, you know, watts and, uh, uh, you know, beautiful, um, you know, 
gold-crusted Buddhas and all that sort of stuff. It's just not worth not worth missing. But then when you and there is some golf near Bangkok. The best of the golf is north up near Chiang Mai and Chiang Rai up in the mountains, which are must be seen. Two beautiful, beautiful cities. Um, a lot cooler as well. Um, and there are both. There is a course called Chiang Mai Highlands that goes up and down the mountains, and just the scenery is spectacular. And then there are two uh, sort of resort towns, Wahin, which is uh, H-U-A-H-I-N, which is actually the summer palace of the king, maybe the best Maybe the maybe the best golf course I saw, which is which is called the Banyan Golf Club, beautiful, immaculate conditions overlooking the water, but a really good layout. I don't know who did it, and this was eight or nine years ago, but it was a spectacular course. There's a lot of that, and then the other kind of resort town is called Patia. It's P A T T A Y A, pronounced Patia, and the Siam Country Club has two courses, well, one called Old, one called Plantation. That even though they're, you know, they're part of the same club, they couldn't be more different. I think one of them has held if it doesn't still either the either the Thailand open or something but it just you just get you know really good quality um and yet very sort of different and the scenery is spectacular plus as throughout asia um there are the female caddies who uh you may not be able to speak to them very much have a conversation, but they are incredibly hardworking, incredibly helpful. I even had, while we were waiting on a tee because it was slow play in front of us, <laughs> my caddy told me to lay down on the ground on my stomach, and she walked on my back, oh. like 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 a massage. Wow! Um, and, and I, you know, haven't ever had that here. I don't care how high end the co- club is here; you don't get that. Must have been a tense day of golf. Out uh, there no, not after that, and you know. <laughs> Luckily, she was a uh, a petite caddy, um, but you know they drag the bags around. You know they use they use carts and things like that. You know everywhere you go, and particularly in that part of the world, you just you just get and this amazing set of experiences and um, and you know and as I say, some pretty good golf. But Thailand without the golf is worth it. Food's incredible. Going up into the mountains with the elephants and the tigers and it's could not I can't wait to go back. Let me back up to so you live in New York. I do. What is give me first the travel route and you if you remember how long it took you to get to Vietnam to get to Thailand. How'd you get yeah, there? Yeah. Um well I believe you can fly nonstop to Thailand to Bangkok. Really? I think so. But I think I did it I think I did it through Seoul, Korea. Uh, so it's, you know, but it's still, yeah, it's a good, you know, whatever it is, 14, 16 hours in the air. Mm-hmm. And then I remember actually staying in an airport at the, uh, staying in a hotel at the Seoul airport on the way back. I don't remember again, it was a few years ago. There are lots of options. One of the things, and I guess, you know, you should preface all this with, since I was somebody's guest, either a travel office or something, you know, they arranged all that and they may not have done it necessarily the most, most direct, mm-hmm. you know, whatever airline they were working with. Um, unfortunately I didn't spend any time in Seoul or, um, Korea, both for the country and the golf is very high on my list. Um, I've seen 
pictures and read about a lot of the courses there. Some of them just sound spectacular. So, um, you know, watch out, Korea. I'm coming. A lot of these places, you can kind of see the reflection of the growth of the game uh, on the tours now starting to show up, especially, I mean, for me on LPGA, the proliferation of girls from Thailand has been really impressive to see in area and Moria Jatanagarn and Tidapa Suwanapura. You're just, just showing I'm off, just that, showing you can off that I can say wow. these names. I really, that was my whole Good point of this. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> nice lead up. But it's very, it's true. It's I, What I, I find most interesting in Korea in particular is that there's much more, I don't know if it's emphasis, but the fact that so many young women are playing and have made it on the tour. Now, I don't know if more women are playing than men, but certainly they've been able to make such a presence, you know, starting, I guess, with with Seri Pak, you know, and also what happens is they become very successful here and become role models and are helpful and do academies and really, you know, are pushing the growth of the game in their home countries, as you said. And you'll have the Olympics in Tokyo, too. So oh, well, so, gonna, gonna um, so we mentioned Japan. That wasn't one of the countries I was going to have on my list. I have been and played a bit, and I would certainly suggest going. I think oh, that's probably another podcast because the thing about playing in Japan is arranging to play these courses. You know, they are almost all private. Japan, as most people probably know, is a very uh, private, uh, very sort of hard nut to crack uh, anyway. And I've got a long story, and I went a few years ago, and arranging to play the top private clubs in Japan is the subject for another day. Now, that is certainly a country where the golf is great, but the country is phenomenal. Um, And uh, a long flight, (laughs) and, you know, not everybody likes that. And it's difficult because of the language barrier, particularly once you get out of Tokyo, but another place that I strongly recommend. And as a New Yorker, a big city like Tokyo appeals to me. So. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and none of these are going to be short flights, right? Short flights or if short you're coming, stays. If you're coming from the United States, none of these yeah. are going to be. Right. It's not. And, and you need to have, you know, at least a week, if not more, to see anything, particularly mm-hmm. if you're trying to squeeze in a couple of rounds, which take up which take up a lot more time there because the courses are not nearby. Yeah. You know, it's a couple hours to any of the good courses outside of Tokyo. That's a good so, point. So you have to yeah, work all that in there. But um, so the other country that uh, absolutely I think everybody should go to uh, for golf, certainly, and for everything else is New Zealand, where I've been a couple of times, um, and I thank my lucky stars every time I go. A very long flight. Um, I've gone through both LA and San Francisco, it's still, you know, it's a full day by the time you get there. But the golf is way up there among the best in the world. Uh, Certainly anyone who's looked at the new uh, ratings from the various golf magazines has seen a golf course called Tara E.T., which is a Tom Doak design that opened a couple of years ago. And um, now that is certainly the creme de la creme there and difficult to get on. It's owned by an American um, hedge fund guy by the name of Rick Kane, who it is accessible, takes some work. Um, Rick is going to be adding some courses on this incredible piece of seaside true links uh, area on the on the north island if you can arrange it it isn't cheap if you can stay there even better these spectacularly modern very expensive lodges on the property it'll be interesting to see what happens to Terry et he's talking about opening a public course there 
it just it is everything that you have read and more just the views the views from there and Tom did a spectacular layout just pure links golf wind and everything that you you want and you know 30 degrees warmer than Scotland so the views are crazy we've posted some on go to our Instagram and check out at yeah. links magazine on Instagram and see for yourself yeah. the these pictures are phenomenal yeah, it right and Really, as with most golf photographs, don't quite do it justice. Yeah. Um, you but, know, of course, once you're there, you're just so sort of knocked down. And that's true. You know, as I said, I've played now on both the North and South Islands. And, um, in fact, I've written about New Zealand for Lynx and for others. But um, along with Tara Eti, Tom Doak has another... I, you know, what I think is the second best is a, is a course called Cape Kidnappers, also on the North Island, which is at the top of these seaside cliffs, a kind of Bandon Dune-esque, uh, except very interestingly, rather than sort of going along the water, you know, Tom almost did the course perpendicular. Yeah, um, I which, think I've seen this one too. Yeah. It's like fingers. It's like fingers out. exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, but but sort of rather going um, if you, you know, sort of along with the, uh, you know, sort of uh, parallel to the shoreline, they go mostly perpendicular, and you're you know pretty high up there, and the wind, and it's a you know it's a it's a links in the sky kind of feel. Fantastic layout, very formidable depending on the wind, very. Accessible, you know, easy to arrange to play, and interestingly, Cape Cape Kidnappers and as a lodge there, which I highly recommend. Also owned and run by uh, by the same group that does what's what is the course most people probably heard of in New Zealand, which is Cowrie Cliffs, at the very northern tip, just about of the North Island, which is not as great a strategic sort of a you know kind of a golf test, but the views, the scenery, the up and down, the, um, you know, again, high up above the water, overlooking called something called the Bay of Islands up there, just as beautiful a golf course as you'll see in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and another lovely lodge right there, because there's nothing else there. You're, oh, you know, um, you fly into Auckland and it's a good hour and a half, two hour drive from Auckland. There's a lot of travel when you go to New Zealand. Um, I both drove around. They hop on helicopters and planes. You know, they use planes from city to city the way that we use buses just about. Right. Um, You know, quick, um, not too expensive, partly because what's in between the cities is is farmland or is, you know, undeveloped. Uh, A lot of sheep. um, And, you know, you fly over it at a thousand feet and it's kind of cool. Auckland and Wellington are two spectacular cities on the North Island. I'm particularly fond of Queenstown on the South Island. We were talking talking about this before. Maybe the most active city I've ever ever been to. It's uh, adventure capital. Of adventure the world capital is of the world. Absolutely. Um, as I said, it's where they. You went. Did you go zip lining or? Yeah, oh no, you no. you were climbing mountains and. I climbed. Yes, I climbed a mountain with some some friends when I, I went for the LPGA tournament that was there. Yeah. Um, Queenstown, like you're describing, is just yeah. takes your breath away. And Every, everywhere you yeah. look, and it's um, on this spectacular lake. It is surrounded by these snow-capped mountains, some of which are called the mountain chain is called the Remarkables, which is a perfect on-spot name for it. You just you just 
have your breath taken away everywhere that you that you turn. And just outside of Queenta- Queenstown, actually in the shadow of the Remarkables, is a remarkable and public golf course called Jack's Point. That was such a surprise. I mean, it is a great, great course, beautiful, but it actually sort of almost climbs the lower parts of some of these mountains. I, I, I think I was telling you earlier, I started playing it like eight o'clock in the morning. It was kind of chilly, you know, you had a t- you know, like a long sleeve and stuff like that. Once the sun gets up over the mountains, suddenly it warms up really quick. And, you know, you're like doing a strip tease as you're playing the golf course. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, I'm not a big fan of mountain golf. Usually that up and down, this is just such fun. It is, uh, uh, it is, it's a great test, absolutely worth it. It was there that we were um, we were playing, and we were. It sort of overlooks this great big valley, and it's farmland. And all of a sudden, we noticed this, like like a little plane taking off. There was an airstrip. We you know didn't even notice, and this little plane kind of comes up, and it flies and it rises. And you know you can watch it for a long time. It's these vast expanses of, of views, and then it climbs up, and then about five or six. People jump out, open their chutes, and we're watching them. And, you know, it it's like they're going to land on us. They obviously don't. They, you know, we just watch them float down. They parachute, land in the valley. The plane comes around, lands. Half an hour, they do it again. So for this entire, whatever it was, three and a half, four hour round, we must have seen eight or nine jumps. Skydivers. <laughs> right. So sky, and, you know, you're, you're just like. How are you supposed to concentrate? Right. On you don't you know what it's such a beautiful <laughs> place you're you're in such a good mood um, it's such a great test you go over the mountain on the other side it is all along this beautiful lake you're just you know the hard part is playing playing golf there with your mouth hanging open the entire time mm-hmm. that's what New Zealand is so absolutely um, and then you know there are a couple of older courses there there's a course uh, outside of Wellington I believe. Titarangi, which is an Alistair McKenzie design that's been redone pretty close to town. There's one of the original, what used to be one of the great true links courses in the southern hemisphere, and I'm going to hack up the name here, Paraparamu Beach. They call it Paraparam. It's an Alex Russell, who was a protege of McKenzie, course opened in the late 40s, and still pure, true links. Um, you know, the ball just you know, just rumbles and bubbles and kind of goes along through these hills and hillocks and dunes. And it you just get everything there. And then inland courses, I played one Jack's only course in New Zealand is called Kinloch on the North Island, not too far from Lake Topo, which is uh, most people might know it, maybe not by name, but that's where a lot of the Lord of the Rings movies were filmed right. up there. Yeah. And so you get some of that kind of mountainous, volcanic. It just... Whatever you want is there in New Zealand. And, boy, you can spend a week, a month. I mean, I would move there, but I don't think they want me. Some people do. Some people go there and legitimately just stay. Right. Well, they (laughs) – I'm jealous. Yeah. Um, The last place I think people should go that they may have overlooked and a little closer to home and maybe more in their sort of wheelhouse is Wales. Um, You know, everyone – thinks about Scotland and Ireland and to some extent England. Um, Wales, certainly part of Great 
Great Britain. Attached you know, to England. Attached to I England. I actually, I had to look that up earlier. I couldn't I, have told you on a map where <laughs> Wales was. Well, in uh, 2010, when the Ryder Cup was played in Wales at Celtic Manor, which is sort of, which is in southern Wales. And, you know, Wales is sort of this, this kind of appendage to the western side of England. And I started at the top, drove in from... I think Manchester, England, drove in at the top and um, went all around along the coast. Now, partly that's where the best golf is. Also, it's very hard to go inland. Wales is a very tough, mountainous, um, hard, uh, just um, brutal-looking place inland. I mean, think of it. It was coal mines. You know, the coal from Wales is what powered England all through the 1800s, early 19. Uh, Early 1900s, you know, that's what powered the ships is the coal. They were miners. You know, anyone who's seen um, any of those movies, um, you sort of listen to the voice of Richard Burton. You can hear that history in there. Um, as a result, it's you know, it's a tough place. But along the coast, there's a lot of links-ish stuff. It's sort of interesting to also see people, they're surfing along a very rocky, wavy coastline. They need wetsuits. It's cold water. Um, but I, but as I said, I, I went in at the top and, you know, drove all the way around, played some, a couple of courses that I will never forget of, you know, the famous one is, is Royal Porthcall. It's the only Royal, Royal designated course in Wales where they play the Welsh Open and stuff. It's a big open championship type course. I mean, they could play it there. Big and hard and and um, uh, windy and so mm-hmm. the whole the whole country's windy. Yeah. Um, but many of the little towns have these wonderful little, usually seaside courses. I remember very fondly playing a course called Royal St David's, which was um, in the shadow of this big black castle that the kings that the English kings built. Oh, I don't know, fourteen, fifteen hundreds to. They did a lot of subjugating of, of Wales and, and the Welsh, and you're down there playing this wonderful Lynx course, and you are looking up and seeing seeing this history right in your face. Yeah. One of my favorite courses is a place called Tenby, T-E-N-B-Y, in the town of the same. It's a seaside town where they where they go for for weekends and, you know, to kind of hang hang by the sea and there are always little amusement parks and festivals and ice cream stands. Wonderful, wonderful little golf course. Um, there's a famous one. It is called the Links in the Sky Pennard, uh, P-E-N-N-A-R-D, which is spectacular. It plays like a Lynx and again, you're, you know, you're, you're way, way up there, but it's not this big brute. It's this wonderful, charming as so many of them are. And the people, you know, it's so trite to say it, but are so welcoming and a lot of fun to play with. And then afterwards have, have, have a drink in the bar, uh, which they insist on. Yeah. And, you know, you really, you know, sort of find out what it's like to, you know, to live there and be there. So Wales and there are, you know, there are easily dozens of golf courses and many of them these links and uh, um, and it's an easy relatively easy drive I recommend having a GPS with you um, All right. <laughs> otherwise I'd still be there um, yeah. but Wales is absolutely uh, um, you know certainly after you've done Scotland and Ireland Wales is where Ireland was 20 30 years ago uh, anyone who has been to Ireland will you know sort of appreciate that hasn't been overrun hasn't been 
that I discovered, yet there is some just wonderful golf. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting perspective that I think a lot of people won't have, but maybe will consider now that they know a, little, a thing or two about it. And very easy to get to. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Last one. Last place. You do not go here for golf. I did. Israel. Okay. Israel has... <laughs> Okay, stop out there, people. Israel does have golf. All that sand, it isn't just bunkers, I promise you. Remember, these were the people that made the desert bloom. So there are two courses. There is a nine-hole course called, I actually looked up the name. It's called Gaash, G-A apostrophe A-S-H, which I hear is not all that much. But the 18-hole, the big course in, in Israel, is the Caesarea Golf Club. Caesarea, as many people might know from their history books, was the Roman port when that was all part of ancient Rome. It's uh, 20 miles north of Tel Aviv on the Mediterranean, a beautiful town, fantastic Roman ruins, um, and also sort of the Hamptons of Tel Aviv. People go up there for the weekend. There are some um, um, outlandish houses, and many of them surround this golf course that was established in the early 60s and then sort of uh, languished. And then about 10 years ago, they brought, of all people, Pete Dye to Israel to redo it, to clean it up. Now, it was really Pete's associate, Tim Liddy, who did, who did the work. But I remember when I was, right after I was there and I was writing about it, I called the Dyes to sort of ask them, what they thought. And I didn't speak to Pete all that much. I spoke to Alice Dye when she was still alive, and she was a wonderful person and a, and a raconteur in her own right. And she was telling me that when they went, um, you know, Pete kind of looked at the golf course and had some ideas, and, you know, but Tim, Tim did the work. Pete, though, is fa- was, has always been fascinated with water. I mean, how does water move? How do you get it on a golf course? Yeah. Where is it? How do you... You know, how do you flow it? How do you, how, how do you make it work for you? So he was fascinated. They spent most of their time in the old city of Jerusalem. And he looked at this ancient city and kept wondering, how did they move water around? And, and this is Alice telling me all this. <laughs> and, um, and I can see it. You know, he, he must have been just fascinated kind of looking at these ruins while a couple of miles away, because Israel isn't all that big, everything's a couple of miles away. They turned this overgrown cow pasture into a Pete Dye-like, uh, very fun, uh, you know, not terribly challenging. It was a course that wasn't only built, so they had a course. And so, you know, people who live up there and some very well-to-do have a place to play, but they wanted to have a place, sort of a laboratory to bring the game to Israel to start to train some players to make it, you know, it isn't going to replace the national sport of Israel, which I'll bet you don't know what it is. I don't. Basketball. Oh, okay. Well, I believe that's the case, yes. Uh, So, um, but, you know, um, and I know you know the most significant professional to come out of Israel. Letitia Beck. Letitia Beck, yeah. right. Who, and this is where she honed her game, I think learned the game, honed her game, still comes back. It's her home course when she's back in Israel. Yep. Um, and again, I can give you a thousand other reasons to go to Israel. But if you're there, um, they rent clubs. Um, uh, it's about $150 a round. Um, you know, I don't know if I think that's fair or not, but I think just to be able to say... 
Um, not a lot of Americans can say it. Yeah. And I'm the first, I think, uh, certainly since the course was redone, to say, I played golf in Israel. So take that. It's unique. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm well, not rushing to go back. Well, maybe one day someone else will, will claim the throne from yes, you or join right. you up there. That's right. Yeah. Well, I would be curious who the second golf writer is who's going to play this golf course. Yes. All right. We'll figure it out. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit. So oh, we, right. did, we did a segment with George Pepper a few podcasts ago uh, talking about uh, a new series and links in 2020 called My Courses. Right. Uh, and thought it would be fun to do a My Courses with you, Jim. So we, we picked out a few and we'll rifle through them and see. Rifle indeed. And see yeah. what, uh, what you think and, okay. and, and where where that takes you. So the first one, I'm going to start with your uh, bucket list course, well, if it, it is a course. It is not a course. It is a country, and it is Australia. Because even though I've gone to New Zealand twice, anyone who thinks that, oh, you're in New Zealand, just hop over to Australia. It's a 1,000 miles away. Yeah. Now, granted, they hop over there. I want to go, but I want to spend two, three weeks at least. I think just for the courses around Melbourne, mm-hmm. that whole, you know, Royal Melbourne, uh, uh, you know, just that whole list. Victoria, I can't even think of them now, but they're, you know, every one of those famous, um, famous courses. That's, and, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it soon. Great. All right, best memory on the golf best course. Best memory, well, two, George hit on it. In his, when he talked about when he and I playing together as a team, both shot our career rounds playing together as a team. First time he broke 70 and the first time I broke 80 playing together at a course called Aspetuck Valley in Connecticut. It's also, I believe, the only piece of hardware I have for playing golf. Um, we won this qualifying tournament in the Met area, which, which we were able to go on to the finals where I don't think, where I think it was, you know, like 12 teams and we were 15th. So um, (laughs) we like used it all up, but, um, you know, but as we joke still many years later, we'll always have Aspetuck Valley. Yeah. That's one. The second one, and in some ways more, more sort of meaningful to me is I was introduced to the game late. I was in college when I, when I met the friend, Mike, closest friend still was really the first person I knew who played golf and sort of through him I got interested in it and then went on to learn to play and then got into the golf business and when I was able to I took my friend Rich with me to Northern Ireland about uh, I don't know 10 12 years ago he had never played outside the US and um, we played our first round was at some inland course and then we got up north along the northern coast of Ireland and we were at a, a place a course called called Rossapenna mm-hmm. which if you look is the northwest corner of Ireland and it was kind of a windy day we knew it was going to rain you drive up to the clubhouse which is like a small castle and we're in the parking lot you know putting on our waterproofs and kind of getting all ready and then we go and we grab the trolleys with our bags on the back and we come around the corner of this building and this is now the first time that my friend Rich, who I've known, you know, 20 years and I've played golf with a zillion times. It's the first time he sees a true Lynx course. And there is Rosa Pena kind of rolling out in front of us, looking like a rumpled bed. And he just stopped and went, wow. And that moment made the entire thing. I still get, you know, 
still still get sort of misty eyed. You know, talking. This is the guy who introduced me to the game. Who he keeps reminding me I owe him everything, and occasionally I pay him back. And this trip, but to see his face first time he saw a real. Link's course was worth it all. That's a cool story. Yeah. Okay. The first course you ever played. Well, it's funny. I, so I know I told you the story the other day and it got me thinking about it. I don't know how, I don't remember if I played one hole, 10 or 18 at this course. I had a friend in high school whose parents were South American and he moved up to where I lived in the States during elementary school, we were friends for a long time. And during high school, the family moved back to Buenos Aires. His father was a businessman. He was transferred, whatever. And I went down to visit them. This is, a, I was in high school. This was in the early 1970s. I went down there for a couple of weeks. I don't remember the circumstances. I know I wasn't drunk at the time, but somehow, I don't know how, we wound up playing the jockey club in Buenos Aires, which um, at least... One of the courses I know for sure, the red course, is a McKenzie course. I don't know. I know I stood there hitting golf balls. I don't know if I hit one. I don't know if it went in the air or skidded across the ground. I was 16 or 17. Took me another almost 15 years to hold a golf club again. But I know I was at the jockey club for at least a minute hitting a golf ball. That's the first course I was on. I don't know about played, but I know I was there. At what point did you realize what that meant, like where uh, you were? Uh, much, much later. I had no idea. I didn't know anything about did something golf. like a light bulb just go off like, oh, my yeah, God. Many years later, um, yeah. you know, I think I probably had to go into therapy or hypnosis to be reminded of it. <laughs> but I know I played there. Um, and uh, uh, I just, you know, at some point in the last 10 years, the as you said, a light bulb went off and I was reminded, you know, maybe it's a dream, but I'm pretty sure I was there. Yeah. And I have looked it up and, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it was for years, the course in South America. Wow. <laughs> so I need to get back. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Okay. Uh, hardest course you've ever played? No question. Carnoustie. Um, it's the first, second and third hardest course. I think my dad would played. say the same thing. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. And even without wind, um, you know, it is, a uh, it's a tough, slog and and I played just as bad as it was hard as I recall the first time I played however it was worth it because I had a a caddy a young kid young man 16 or 17 and it was worth it because his name was Angus and Angus was Angus was sort of built like an Angus (laughs) he was low and wide and you know very firm on the ground and smoked Smoked cigarettes the entire time. <laughs> I think a kid. He, he was, you know, probably cutting school. If you have, if your name's Angus, you you need to be Angus. Like you need to embody really, right, that right. name. Yeah, I don't. I don't <laughs> think he mooed, but he was a. I mean, it was a lot of fun. He, we had a great time. That's what I remember: laughing and you know, kind of talking to Angus and stuff like that, and just being beat up. I mean, I think I lost every golf ball I brought with me. In you know, um, what is it called? The Barry Burn? Something. Yeah. It was. Oh God, what a what a golf course. <laughs> All right. Uh, the last two are kind of similar. They trip George up a little bit. Yep. Uh, let me see if I can explain it better. If there was a course you could play for the rest of your life, what would that be? So over and over again. Yep. What I course? got you. I think, and you know, you it could change in half an hour, let alone 
tomorrow or a week from now. That's true. Might be San Francisco Golf Club. I've had the privilege of playing it a couple of times. Also worked on a club history, so I, it's fascinating history. But um, a Mackenzie, uh, I'm sorry, not a Mackenzie, a Tillinghast. Excuse me. Um, see, we were talking about Mackenzie in Australia. Yeah. Tillinghast course, brilliant, brilliant design. It's been redone a few times, most recently by Tom Doak and his uh, former partner, Jim Urbina, who I talked about. I remember standing on the 17th tee, kind of a slightly dog-legging par four with bunkers um, on either side of the fairway. Classic kind of McKenzie flashed up, you know, you know, kind of looking like looking 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 like Augusta, you know, bunkers. And I just started to laugh. I just said, this is a textbook version of what golf course architecture should be. Wonderful course. But the real reason, so if I were playing it every day or, you know, played it as for the rest of my life, it would mean I was a member of San Francisco Golf Club. Um, and I'm not sure they want me as a member, but it is the most it's a wonderful golf experience. It's a great club, wonderful membership. I've been privileged to meet a couple of guys there, all of whom are great. Also would mean I'd spending a fair amount of time in the Bay Area, which isn't bad. But it is it is a golf experience for every part of it. You know, the locker room with the fireplace that's always going. Um, magnificent, historic course in a great part of the country. Um uh, and, you know, as I say, nothing wrong with being in San Francisco. Well thought out answer by you there. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, it'll change tomorrow. Right? As I said. And we've written about San Francisco Golf Club yes, recently, uh, as a yeah. classic course. And it is a classic course. And you can also read that on yeah. linksmagazine.com. Shameless plug there Shameless from plug the digital indeed. editor of Links. Uh, last <laughs> if one. If not you, who? Well, I, it's my job. There you go. Uh, one last course. Okay. If you had one round left, yeah. your last round, where would you play? Well, I'm going to go back to Tarahiti, um, selfishly, because it means I have gone back to New Zealand. So again, in 10 minutes, I might have a different answer. I have said for years, I hate it when people, I should say I hate it. People say all the time, what's your favorite course? And then I say uh, that I played in the last week, I played in the last year in the US, around the world. I mean, this is the pompousness that comes with the privilege I've had of playing around the world. I admit it, be as angry at me as you like. But as I said, Tarahiti is certainly one of the most, if not the most impressive golf course I've seen, certainly in the last few years. Now, you know, I would love to play Shinnecock one more time. Um, any of the golf courses out there and living in New York, they're not quite in my backyard and I don't play them as much as I'd like. You have to get invited, but I've had the opportunity a couple times. There are so many courses like that. So one course, I don't know, I think George said Cypress as well as the old course. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. hard to knock Cypress. Um, but um, wow, you know, as I say, the uh, curse of having played so many places, hard to answer that one whether it's favorite or where, you know, where do I want to have my ashes sprinkled? Mm -hmm. It's a tough one. Ask me again tomorrow, Al. Well, I can appreciate the fact that you've thought these all out and <laughs> you didn't do like me or I had, had 10 or 15 minutes to come up with my list. Like, I don't want to do it over again. But again, uh, I, that might change, too, if I start thinking yeah. too hard well, about there it. There is nothing, and I hope 
most of the people listening to this podcast feel the same way. There's nothing we like more than talking about golf courses. Well, it's fun. It's fun to it's reminisce fun. and fun to dream as well. Indeed. All right. Uh, that'll do it for us. Another successful podcast in the books I with Jim Frank. Hope so. Thank you. I, I always enjoy it and hope to do it again. Cool. Sounds good. Thanks. Take care.